Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. Excited about today's show and my guest because we're going to talk about happiness. Now, I mean, you can't listen to this show without being happy. And ultimately, that's what we all want out of life, to be happy, right? I found these couple quotes that I want to read first. Is happiness depends upon ourselves. And that was Aristotle. So it wasn't like yesterday, it was centuries ago. And I, I think it's so important when we think about who we are as individuals. I've been told that nobody can make you feel sad about yourself except yourself. And the same thing, happiness really depends on us. And so I think that's extremely important. And again, we're going to get into some of this today. And the other one I want to read is happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions. Now, I know you won't guess this out there, but it's the Dalai Lama. Yes, I did reach back into, into history to grab some of these. And there's many, many, many more. But I think it's important when we start thinking about happiness when it comes to your personal happiness and happiness at work. And we're going to dig into that. So joining me at the cafe from the UK today is Nick Mark, CEO and founder of Friday Pulse. He's a statistician, a happiness expert, and a TED Talk speaker. But before we get into our conversation, I want to take a quick break. I was recently speaking with the president of a manufacturing company. When the topic turned to competitors, his response was, we don't have any competitors. We're the market leaders, and they look to us for their cues. I don't pay any attention or worry about them at all. How many times have you heard this said? For me, as a marketer, plenty. Regardless if you're the market leader, a challenger, you have competition. Whether your competition is a specific company, new technology, or anything else that changes the dynamics of the market you serve, you have a competitor. You need to consider setting up a competitive intelligence program as an ongoing business strategy and not treat your program as an annual task. In my opinion, understanding your competition is as important as understanding your customers. To help you begin thinking about the process, time requirements, and the monetary investment that it takes to develop and implement an effective program, I've created an ebook as a resource that you can find on my website at theponzigroup.com. An effective competitive program helps you keep one eye on your competition while keeping one eye on opportunities. Thank you again, and I appreciate your listening. As I mentioned, I'm joined today by Nick Marks, founder of Friday Pulse, statistician, happiness expert, and TED Talk speaker. Nick, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I got a smile on my face. They can't see the video. So you got the heavy burden today to make me happy. <laughs> so, um, and, and so that's what I'd like to do. I think we're going to share a lot of things in, as, as we go through this. And I, I found what you're doing really fascinating. It's now my a part of my background is market research. And so I, I do go out and I talk to customers, I talk to employees. And so I, I, I've dug into not what you're doing, but certainly trying to get a pulse on what's going on, whether it's in the marketplace or within the four walls of a company. Um, but before we get into all of that, let's talk, tell the audience a little bit from your perspective of what you do and who you are um, to kick this off. Yeah, I'm a statistician, as you said. I mean, that's my sort of trade. I was always good at mathematics at school and I went to university to do that 
but I actually discovered I was an applied statistician. I like numbers more than pure mathematics. And so when I left university, I started working on health statistics uh, and consultancy and that sort of way. But then I had a slightly quirky side in that my mother was a family therapist and I also became a therapist. And so then it perhaps becomes inevitable that I end up doing statistics on people's experience of life and ultimately their happiness. And that's sort of kind of been my journey. And now I worked a lot in the policy field. I used to advise the UK government on how to measure well-being. Uh, and that's what my TED talk was on. But since I did that, I've now been thinking about work and about how we measure experience of work and actually why employee happiness is actually a really good measure of how well the people in the company are doing. Um, and that's that's kind of what I do. But happiness is such an interesting subject and people's well-being that it keeps me very fascinated as well. Oh, you know, I think it's what you're doing is is well, frankly, it's so needed. I think, and I talk a lot as a as a marketer when I when I speak to my clients is we we have to understand what's going on in the four walls. We have to include the employees. They have to understand what we're doing to help grow the business, so they have confidence and they feel good about what they're doing. There's so many times I walk down the hallways of a client and I'll say to the accounting person, for example, "Hey, how do you like the new campaign? How do you like what's going on?" and and all the business that we're generating or whatever. And she'll say, yeah, I see the business because I do the books, but I, I don't know what's different. I have no idea what's going on in the other side of the building. And so I really look at how do I build campaigns, if you will, to make sure there's an inclusion. Hmm. I worked with a, a company one time and they were growing really rapidly. And, and literally the, the, the CEO was borrowing on credit cards one year and and the year after that, she's buying property and, and doing all this investing. And, and, and I walked in one day and she had pictures of all the things she was acquiring on the wall in the lunchroom. And I, and I could tell people were looking at it. And in the meantime, I know that, you know, Bob over there didn't get his raise and, you know, somebody was, you know, that kind of stuff. And I had to go in and say, look, we got to take these things down because you might be proud and happy and you're showing them that their productivity is helping you, but there's not anything that's reciprocal for them. And frankly, it's, it's sending a bad message through the, uh, through the office. Yeah. And if they can see your face on this video, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, crazy this stuff people do. Yeah. And I mean, it, I think you have to build a company that you're all in it together and, 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 it, and, and that part of that is reward and recognition. I mean, part of it is soft stuff actually to appreciate people. But, you know, if you're suddenly making money, then give people bonuses. I mean, they're the ones working for you, with you. So uh, I do find that a bit shocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, so did I. Because, um, I, I, you know, there, there, I think it was uh, maybe Mark Cuban said, if, you know, you don't have customers, you don't have a business. And I believe in that. But I also believe if you don't have really solid employees, they're going to, you know, do that work for you. You also don't have a business or you're a solo entrepreneur and, you're never going to grow or go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, Tony Shea, who um, CEO of Zappos, uh, famously built about uh, thought about happiness in his culture quite a lot, wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. And he says that if you want happy customers, you've got to have happy employees. And you know, this, this, that's the only route to it. And it actually brings up some tensions like, you know, the, the, the sort of idea that the customer is always right is actually oppressive to employees sometimes because sometimes customers aren't right and sometimes customers are very difficult and sometimes and actually where do you put your priority maybe actually 
you should be saying actually my employee is right and there's i know it's a difficult space but mm-hmm. you know your, your organization is a people business whatever business you're in and and ensuring that people uh feel like they belong feel like they're contributing uh feel like they you know get along with other people feel like they're treated fairly so your last example really is people not feeling they're treated fairly so there's a very very fundamental things to people's experience at work yeah so um, before we, 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 we dive into this a little bit further, I, I do ask some questions of all my guests. And so the, the first one, when you think about, you know, your business uh, and growing your business, what, what keeps you up at night? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I am a business guy now, but that hasn't been my past. You know, my past has been a researcher and an and a advocate for this area. And I founded a business about eight years ago in this space and it's taken me a bit of a journey and, and I think I think that's kept me up work is not is not feeling in control not understanding what the levers were to push and my journey has been like understanding one what the product wanted to define two what the business model of that is and so I feel less kept up at night now because I kind of understand how the bits fit together but it took me a long time to do that I mean obviously coronavirus striking is very hard for every business person out there and I had quite a few sleepless nights at that time. I had to furlough is what we're doing in the UK when you put someone on temporary unemployment, a couple of people. Uh, I had to ask my staff to take a pay cut because we lost two of our biggest clients. But we've all got through it. And um, and I actually feel much better than I did 12 weeks ago now. But um, but there are there are things that keep. And normally, I mean, often I I, I feel out of my own depth, you know, it, it, it things. that's what keeps me up in a wake. I actually, my employees are great. It's often me I have the problem with. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, again, cr- the coronavirus certainly threw all of us a uh, a curveball. Just you know, just like for me, the 2008 recession. I mean, nobody predicted that that thing was going to really go the way it went. And and I actually tried to start a new business in 2008, 2009, and and man, it just could not get any traction and and things like that. And so you know, that was for me those sleepless nights of, of growing a business and really, and you just starting a business eight years ago. I mean, you, you got the startup, you know, blues, if you will. Right. Cause you're trying to figure it out as you're going along, you now one day you're by yourself or the next day you have employees. So, uh, I've taken that journey a few times and it's, uh, if you care about your business, care about your clients, care about your employees, one of the, that combination, somebody's going to keep you up at night. So <laughs> yeah, the, the next question is, what is the best business advice you've ever received and or given if it's different? Cool. The best business advice I've received. Um, I think it's probably got to be about learning what cash flow was. I'm a sort of quite a visionary thinking and I can get a little bit up in the sky and uh, I have a, a very good advisor called Brian, and and he um, he keeps me in the cash and how cash flow works, and explains to me about annual contracts in advance rather than monthly payments, and all these ways that. And I, I think you know, it's a bit like that old sort of golf thing, you know, that you you drive for show and you you putt for dough. I think I think that that focus on the, on the cash is 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 really probably the thing i do i mean I, I, you do need that whole planning process and you do need that clarity i mean the cash only comes with that clarity in the sense that the cash is in the, the end is is the is the bit that is is the sign of success but 
all that planning to make sure that, you know, you, you have your three month goals, you have your three year goals and you put them into practice and get into that real sort of weekly, quarterly flow. I think I was living very much two, three years in the future when I started founding a business because I had a big idea and a big plan and, you know, wanted to do things. And actually now that the business is starting to tick, it's because we know what our three month goals are. We know what our, we know we're trying to do this week and what we're trying to achieve. And it's getting it in that. So like, is he called Vern Harnish who does scale up uh, that idea that you really get into that, into that rhythm of business. So I think that's, that's the, the way the advice, it's not just one person, it's probably many, but I think that's what it is to move from being vision into being execution is, has been my, my learning. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever heard of a, a book called traction? What was the book called? Sorry. Uh, traction. It's uh, about the uh, EOS implementation. Oh, I have heard of the EOS. And I, I, I probably have heard of the book. I haven't read it. I've read Bernhard's Scalish and uh, I, I work a little bit with a consultant who helps me a bit on that, too. But, um, yeah, yeah, it is traction. Anyway, I, I agree with the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a good book and it's a good process. It sounds like you're doing some of it already. I mean, there's, some of these overlap, but uh, it, it again, methodology. And, and I'm a firm believer in what you're doing is uh, I like to go out three to five years. But I'm more concerned about in, in the implementation of the next 90 days, right? What's going to happen in 90 days, not what's going to happen. Even I tell my clients now, yeah, we need to think about the end of the year and next year, but I need to make sure you're back in business in the next 90 days or we got bigger problems. We'll never hit three years. We can't you know, get it going now. Yeah. The, um, the last uh, question is your, your journey and now your journey as a business owner. If it was a book. What would the title be? Um, random walk. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean in, in a way, um, it sort of felt purposeful, but the direction only emerges after a time. And it's like, who would think that doing statistics and therapy when you were young would sort of come together into something quite coherent? And and I, I had an unexpected success around 2006 when I published this report called the happy planet index which led to my ted talk and led to all sorts of other things but um you know i didn't expect the world to agree with me i knew i agreed with me i knew i agreed that i thought measuring the experience of population was a much better way of doing it than measuring gdp but i didn't expect to sort of get so much agreement with what we were doing i thought i was a bit too radical and um and then there's sort of um so so I think it'd be called Random Walk, but that's not a very good title. <laughs> it, 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 it's been unexpectedly successful. Let's put it that way. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll go, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. So, I mean, happiness then really in, in kind of the area of influencing organizational development and, and you know, getting companies focused on their employees and how happiness can benefit them, which I think it's obvious. A lot of these things are obvious to me, but then, you know, we don't implement them. So let's let's start, I think, with the Friday pulse. Hmm. Right. And we're going to start digging into pieces. So how does it work? What is it and how does it work? Yeah. So Friday pulse, we try to name it to say what it does, which is on a Friday, i.e. the end of the week. It asks you how your week was and it's trying to keep the 
give the senior leaders like a finger on the pulse of the organization. So it's a measure of employee experience or um, in happiness or team morale, really, because actually when you when you gather at team level, it shows you how each team's doing. And that's really critical information because people's emotional experience of work is data. Our feelings are data. They, I mean, we don't necessarily put them into numbers, but feelings guide us in the world. They really help us monitor what's going on. So when we feel good, things are going well. When we feel bad, things aren't going well. So you can pick that up statistically. And in my opinion, every senior leader should want to know how their teams are doing at least every month, you know, because most people metrics in organizations are what we statisticians call a lagging indicator. They're looking back at what's happened. So they're basically saying how many people left last year? How many people were absent? You know, maybe you did an engagement survey or staff survey once a year, but it, that only tells you one snapshot. So instead of that, what we do is we, 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 we ask people just that one question every week, like, how have you felt this week? And you create a very mobile, very responsive metric about how teams are doing, because the reality is we have good and bad weeks at work. Uh, uh, the trick is to have more good weeks than bad weeks. It's not to have mm -hmm. no bad weeks, because in a sense, if if something's going wrong, you want people to feel bad because that's the motivation to fix it. You, you know, you can't. But what you want them to do is to mainly have things going well and then they can deal with things that things that, that come out. And so that's what Friday Pulse does. It does a couple of other things, which it really helps us pay attention to successes in that as humans have very got a very, very strong what we call negativity bias that we focus on what went wrong. We focus on what our biggest challenge are and we forget to like notice what's gone right to build on those successes, to like pat ourselves on the back. So we ask people to call out successes for themselves. Other people that they see doing things well, they want to thank or, or, or shout out for them. Uh, ideas about how to build a better company team, you know, get to share those things and their frustrations. So there's things to fix. And, that, and that's how Friday Pulse works. The, the only other thing we do is every quarter we do what we call a culture deep dive profile, which is just go into 15 things which we know drive uh, better better cultures. And they, that sits in parallel. But the weekly flow is the main way it works. And it's a check in on how your people are doing every week. So it's, it's, it's a multiple part. I'll call it questionnaire in a sense, a survey. Yeah, it's, it's two minutes. It's, the first question is, how have you felt this week? You answer from very unhappy to very happy, five points. And then you've got little cards you can fit in that, that are not anonymous. They're, they're named, which are like what you call success, what you want to thank. So it's very, very quick and easy on a Friday. And then we feed all that data back to team leaders on a Monday morning, to senior leaders in a more data format. The, the team leaders have the, have the sort of the, 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 the text data so they can talk in the teams about what the successes are. And the senior leaders have it quantified and um, so it's like providing a reporting system. It's also providing a team building tool in a sense that sort of, you know, um, every week in an organization. So that's, so, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Is this, is this automated in the sense that your employees go in, they fill this out and the report is generated and write on a dashboard for the uh, senior management? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cloud-based software. So it all just works totally smoothly. So, I mean, behind the scenes, you've got a list of all the people you're contacting uh, storing all of the data according to all the requirements you need to and and then you're just putting it back out again in nice reports and you know we could sort of send a, a, a team leader sort of like a PowerPoint on a Monday morning that they can run a team meeting from uh, and so it's just trying to make it nice and easy and it you're trying to get people to just talk a little bit more about their experience of work every week half an hour a week 20 minutes a week and then that helps to build over time do do in the in, in there's a research guy coming out in me so it, it so when you're asking, so Angelo, how do you feel today on a scale of one to 10, I think you said, or one to five, whatever it is. And I hit, I'm not very happy today. 
Do you follow up with a why? So, or do you stay away from open ends? So the open ends are, have you got a frustration? So you can write what you want to in the frustration. Uh, and uh, and if you've said you're unhappy, we put the frustration in front of you first rather than the success, because that's respectful if you just said you're unhappy. But, uh, and and some people will some people will answer you honestly, the, 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 the numeric one, but they don't really want to tell you why, but then that can come out in team meetings, uh, you know, and discussions there. So um, there are different ways that people, mainly you're trying to build what Amy Edmondson would call psychological safety. You're getting people to share stuff, getting people to talk about it. And it's, um, and it's something that builds over time, that respect. And you're trying to help a team leader be a better team leader by having the right conversations every week. And lots of team leaders are promoted for seniority or for technical skills, not necessarily people skills. So it's trying to actually be on their side and help them have better conversations too. What I find is is, and I love this, by the way, I mean, I think this is fantastic, but what I find is what is the kind of the time frame to getting employees comfortable to make these comments? It, and that comes from a lot of my own experience in doing employee surveys, you know, that getting them to realize, you know, number one, I'm not necessarily going to tell who, who said it, right? So it's anonymous and you're collecting that data. But in your case, it sounds like you kind of need to know who's unhappy and who's not unhappy. Well, we, we anyone that answers a numeric question, it's anonymous, but we group them together in teams. So if it's a group of more than three people, we'll show a score. If it's only two or one, we won't do. Okay. Yeah, because I think that's that that's really important in, in that kind of feedback. And the other where I was, I think, going next is, is they, you know, CEO of the company, I, I get this report. And it's giving me guidance and letting me know and, and offering me up, I assume, recommendations on things I should maybe be doing. But just like from a marketing standpoint and developing strategic plans, so many times, you know, we we all agree and we're marching forward and then only to find out, uh, you know, a month later, two months later that they veered off track. They didn't implement the things they said they were going to say and and all that work and all that effort is just, you know, collecting dust <laughs> or in this case, you know, taking up disk space. So how, do you get involved in, in coaching and helping businesses on a on a, a regular basis as part of your offering? So we, we don't do that ourselves. We do speak to our clients and we help them interpret the data because particularly it's kind of new types of data, particularly the time series data. So we do some sort of uh, talking with them and guiding with them, but we're not a training or consultancy company. Um, but we try and build an awful lot of nudges into the tool. So a lot of the tool's design is based on, yes, positive psychology, but also um, behavioral science, like how nudges work and also systems thinking. I mean, effectively, what we're doing is we're building a feedback loop, a learning feedback loop for an organization. We're saying this is what people are doing. We feed that straight back to you and we're helping you see your company in a different way. Um, so we're, we're more of a sort of very light touch cloud based software than a training company. But we work with quite a lot of coaches who do that work with their clients and then they use our data uh, included in that. So, yeah. OK, so from your website, I pulled the, these few statements. Positive emotions are an important part of the program. Positive emotions improve physical health, intellectual abilities, psychological resilience in our relationships. Happiness is how we naturally talk about positivity and all of the benefits that flow from feeling upbeat. Happy is what we want for our children and it's what we want to be at work. So let's let's dig into the term positivity and and 
talk about how you make sure that that's being instilled and how that emotion change. I, I think kind of an, a change in how people have perspective and what they do and what makes them happy. I mean, there's a statistic that I've used before I, I actually let you talk, sorry, <laughs> um, is, is, and this is more here in the United States, but um, the last time I saw this, which is probably even changed now, but 85% of American workers are either unhappy or disengaged. So that's a huge uphill battle to turn that kind of environment of people that are unhappy in their work to become more positive about what they're doing and things like that. So let's talk about positivity then. Yeah. So I think of, I think if you think of positivity, you have to like balance it against negativity. And in psychology, we talk about negative and positive emotions. And that's not that negative emotions are dysfunctional. They're highly functional. You know, things like anger and fear are part of the fight and flight mechanism. They help us survive. But the positive emotions are what help us thrive. They help us create and seize opportunities in the world. And we use happiness as a word that sort of covers them all. But if I say to you, say to someone, what is happiness? Some people will say to me, it's contentment. And some will say it's joy. And they're quite different things, contentment and joy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, actually, it's actually recognizing there's a whole array of positive emotions. And, and we can talk about a lot of them from, you know, yes, enjoyment and amusement, which actually, interestingly, we use less cognitive functioning with those ones. We're basically in a situation where we're having a laugh with people, we're enjoying ourselves. We don't want to bring our brightest, most intelligent, most provocative selves to those conversations. Whereas actually at work, you do want people to bring their brightest, most provocative selves in appropriate settings. So at work, we really need to think about what we mean by positivity. And I think we need include things like curiosity, interest, uh, uh, pride or awe, which help us sort of set bigger goals. Um, yes, enjoyment sometimes, you know, in the sense that it's good to sometimes have a break and play table tennis or have a funny chat with somebody, but not all of the time. And you need those reflective energies, too, about feeling satisfied or content where you're reflecting on what's going on. So when I think about positivity in teams and organizations, I'm thinking about sort of an agility to move between a whole space and sometimes actually to be in the space of negative emotions. You know, there might be things to be angry about. The worst thing, though, is to be angry with your boss or frightened of a peer because then you're just blocked. You know, it's OK to be frightened about what's going on in the market or or worried about something that's going on, you know, that you need to achieve. That's good. That's good energy. But if you're just in, in a relationship where you're just frightened of speaking out, then that's just a big block. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. OK, so um, there, there's always a, a financial impact, if you will, based on that in that statistic that I just said on a business, if you have unhappy employees and people that are, are fearful. I've I, uh, worked in uh, actually the organization I was talking about in the beginning of this. I mean, th most of the employees were extremely afraid of the CEO. Yeah. And, you know, when they would come into the, I use the they, so I can't say whether it's a male or female, but when they would walk into the office, I mean, heads would go down for, and people told me in their surveys for fear if I catch their eye, yeah. I could be the next one on the chopping block. Yeah. You know, and then 20 minutes later, they're happy and they're doing something very positive. So there's a kind of the mm. schizophrenia going on as far as leadership. But there but so there's an impact based on that happiness or engagement. So when you deal with a, an organization, 
Is that part of the conversation you have? What's the what's the ROI on this? What are the KPIs? How do you how do you measure? What are the KPIs on on your you know when you're implementing a program like this? And is, you know it's not just your program in a sense, but it's how do you judge KPIs on happiness and the yeah. benefit of happiness? So I can give you a strict answer, a strict statistical answer on return investment, which I think it's about six times in every year. And that's six times the investment. And what's the investment? The investment is about half an hour a week to have better conversations at a team level. What's the return on that investment? Well, it's an increase in productivity. It's a reduction in staff turnover. And it's an increase in creativity and innovation. Those are the main things. It also reduces absenteeism and, and sickness absence and uh, insurance as well. But the big one, the big ones are retention. It's that we know that if a team, so we, we use a five point scale. And if the team's average moves up half a point on that from three to three and a half or whatever, we know that's that is related to 17% staff turnover reduction next quarter. It's very rapid, the effect on staff turnover. It makes sense. If we're unhappy, we move. It's also related to about a 7% increase in productivity, which is pretty big, you know, when you think about, you know, things, because that's across all sectors and, and different sectors do vary with this. You know, if you're in manufacturing, it's probably low. It's probably about 5%. And that's about, you know, looking after machines and uh, everything working, the quality control going better. If you are in a creative industry, it's probably as high as 25% extra productivity because you're basically about collaboration you're about creativity you're about um, communication and all of those things are very interdependent between people's experience of each other so these effects are massive absolutely massive so if you add up those things then you know then half an hour a week is about uh whatever it is um out of, out of a 40 hour week it's about one and a half percent of their working week seven percent extra productivity you've got a five-fold increase there straight away so so um the return on investments are very very big and in fact we designed something called a resilience calculator on our website and you can put in the number of people in your company there and it will give you an estimate of how much you could save how much you could avoid losing every year for having low team morale uh and you can put in some parameters around the type of company you are um so the figures are pretty hard and fast i'm i'm pretty confident them as a statistician it's interesting that they still don't persuade people sometimes. Why is it that you can have all the data in the right way and people still don't want to do it? I find that quite interesting. Yeah, well, what you're doing is brilliant. I, I love it. And to, I think to answer your question as a, as a researcher, I can't tell you how many times I stood in front of somebody, presented you know, the data, all the scientific, uh, I have a data scientist that works with me, yeah. so a statistician, all yeah. the validity in, in it. And they sit there and they go, yeah, I don't believe it. It was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, I worked on a, um, a potential, uh, I didn't work on the show, but I, I was in the action sports industry for a long time. And so I worked with um, trying to bring out a new TV show for the action sports industry. And um, the uh, head, head guys out of New York came out all in their suits. And we're now talking to skateboarders, which are, you know, 14, 15, 16. And we're d doing this concept of this show. And we did, I don't know, maybe eight focus groups and at the end uh you know gave him a report and presented it to him and said this is show is not going to work and here's why here are the changes you need to make and they basically said ah we don't believe anything those kids said they don't know anything and so they did what they wanted to do and the show failed in six months it, and to your point why why wouldn't you listen why i'm telling you you've got a problem go fix it um the data is telling you that so anyway i remember once hearing elon musk interviewed and um 
and it, it was actually at ted so it was chris anderson from ted who was interviewing him and 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 he asked him what was the thing that he couldn't get about levers he said not listening to negative feedback he said why don't leaders? That's exactly what you need to do to fix things, you know. And but of course, you need to be slightly robust to do that. You need to be open. You need to, you know, not have too much ego in the way. But you know, if you're building a business, wouldn't you want seven percent extra productivity? I, I don't know why, you know. And actually, there's data that shows that it translates into share price growth. That if organisations are listed, the ones that have traditionally and consistently done well on things like Great Place to Work list or on Glassdoor, their share price outperforms by about 3% per annum, which is kind of what Warren Buffett looks for extra returns on the, on the market. Yeah. So 3% doesn't sound much, but you compound that up over a few years and it's, it's very big. And so, um, you know, it's sort of aligned with this stuff. I mean, the, one of the reasons it's not easy, it's not easy to, to, to create an open, authentic organization. It's effortful. Uh, and you can't, and telling people is much easier than asking them. You know, I think it comes down to those very basic things. My dad used to run a business which had a factory and he right back in the 1970s, he made just one entrance into the factory that the workers and the management came in the same door uh, and he made one canteen and things like that. Because it used to be really hierarchical, these organizations. And I spoke to someone who was my, my dad died a few years ago. But I spoke to this guy who used to work for him then. And he said, yeah, it was quite hard being a management because we couldn't tell people what to do. We had to get the team together and ask them. He said, but after about a year, we worked out it was much better, but it made my job hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, yeah. Billy, Ben, when you're talking, so a question I have here is uh, what's something people seem to misunderstand about your offering? And then, I mean, I I think it's, you know, we're laying this out. I mean, I, and again, maybe it's just because of my background, but. There's a lot of clarity to what you're doing, but to your point is they just sometimes just don't get it and don't understand it. So what do you, what do you think is kind of the, you know, from, put, your, put your marketing hat on, what do you think is the the one thing that, that's, that they're not getting and why there's a misunderstanding of, I mean, to me, it's like, hell, this makes a lot of sense. I, this is something I should do. Absolutely. Well, I, I think a lot of people will approach the word happiness and say it's fluffy and they say, you know, and they, and they get into the the idea that, you know, ha being happy is playing table tennis or having a beer or pizza. It's not about the work. And so I, and I think that's in some ways that's a reasonable critique, but it, but that's the broader positive emotions bit. Uh, and I think they think the data won't be reliable. But what we normally get is there's particularly skeptical senior managers who who maybe the HR director, the people director gets them to do it will say after about a month. Wow, I'm fascinated in this data. I didn't know you could see this data. You know, you see it team by team. You see which teams are struggling. You see which are bouncing back. You know, it's, it, it, it's like one number is very rich if you've got a good number that you're doing. Like people use net promoter score, which mm -hmm. is a pretty good number. I mean, I, I have slight critiques with it, but it's a pretty good number. Me too, um, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, businesses have been, you know, absolutely flourished by really paying attention to net promoter score. I'm quite convinced that employee happiness is so much better a measure than employee engagement. And if you look at engagement, I don't, people don't even know what engagement is. You know, they if I say to people, are you engaged at work? They go, I oh, don't quite understand what you mean. Well, you say if you're happy, they can give you an answer. It's, it's in their language. Um, and, and really, engagement is just a code word, a business code word for productivity. It's like, how productive are you? It's how engaged you are. So actually, employees aren't stupid. They feel like you're just trying to get more out of them for the same money. So it feels a little extractive. Whereas if you say you want to make a job they enjoy, suddenly it's a gift and then they will reward you. So the enlightened 
the enlightened leader will understand that working with employee happiness or employee experience, you can call it that if you want to, is has got to be a better way of doing it. So it, it's a partly a selling case, but actually we do find, I mean, people haven't thought about doing this very much. They haven't thought about measuring every week. They haven't thought about, you know, why their engagement surveys aren't working. But actually with COVID, suddenly everyone's very aware that things can change exceptionally quickly. And you know, we've actually got a graph of COVID hitting all across our clients. And and it's, it's the first time we've got a big thing happening across all of our clients. And it just dips middle of March and then starts to come back again. And it's not quite back to where it was before because these are people still employed, still in businesses that you know, we've lost clients because you know they, they went under. So there's all sorts of people who are unemployed or furloughed. But these are businesses that are still surviving and they've just got, you know, they, they're not back to where they were yet, you know, and, and that's their struggle. It's our struggle as a business, too. But, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's actually a lot of the conversation I have with uh, with businesses is how do we come back from this? What's the plan? You just can't, you know, hope is not a strategy and you have to think about what are the impacts? I mean, I talk about what ifs, what what if COVID comes back again in August, September, October? I mean, we're we're foolish if we don't plan for it, because already I think the news this morning talked about seven states here in, in the U.S. have had a resurgence of it, which is about 14 days or so given Memorial Day, which was a holiday here when everybody got back together. So you have to plan and you have to think about those things. So I, I, I we're running out of time, but I do have a few more questions. And, and one I'd like is I like stories. So tell me a positive story about positivity with one of your clients and how they benefited working with you. Yeah. So um, we have a, we have a, a client, which is um, they work in, um, well, they're a tech, they're basically a, te- a tech business, but they're, they're, they're scaling up. They're growing very quickly. And they've, they've done that thing where they are bursting through the hundred person barrier you know, I mean, um, there's something called the Dunbar number, do you know, 150, which is like the size of our sort of social networks as a sort of human ecological sort of uh, approach to how we live. And they're moving through that. And so they basically got to the stage where the CEO doesn't know one's name and, and things like that. So they're trying to systemize things. And uh, the leaders were, were, didn't want to lose something, but they they, they needed to grow for their investors and everything like that. So um, they worked with us and, and they, um, well, firstly, the, the the CEO was very skeptical to begin with. Um, he's quite a numbers focused guy. And I, I was trying to tell him that these are numbers about people's feelings. He didn't really believe it. But the, the head of operations really liked it. And then over a six month period, I mean, they've had a bumpy ride. They went up to 180 people. They came back to 120. They're now 150. You know, they sort of made mistakes. But all through that, they've kept measuring and they they've really focused on supporting team leaders to be the best team leaders they are. And some of these team leaders are very techie people and they're not used to running teams. So just helping them have better conversations each week has met them, help, help them get through it. And, and you know, they've had weeks where their scores crashed. We, we, we present things in a scale of 0 to 100 when I was presenting results. They crashed down to 25 and then they bounced back again. But they've really stuck with it. And it's, it's a brave thing to do because you're, you're, you're asking for feedback and you're having to act on it. But they're, they're now growing again, having made one false start. And I think it's, it's the having that immediate data. And it, it goes into their mindset because they are sort of tech people and they've got a sort of SaaS product, which is repeatable revenue. They get that they need to be ahead on these numbers and they and they use them in their monthly monthly meetings. So in that way, it works really well. But even though they've had a difficult ride, they kept going with it. OK. All right. So, you know, 
Thank you for that. My my show is about business and 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 how to help businesses grow and be successful. So as our parting question, then, what are two pieces of advice? Thinking about happiness and and, and employee welfare, would you give to companies that they need to be uh, concerned about and and implement in order to be successful? Um, I think that celebrate successes together. So go back to your first story, not just for the CEO, for everybody in that if everyone's working together hard, it's actually, you know, making sure that you you look after everybody, include them. And whether that's micro successes on a weekly basis, but uh, but also the macro ones, you meet your targets is make sure you mark those moments because there's always going to be challenges ahead. And if we don't take the time to just sit there and go, yeah, good job. We've done that. I think we all feel expanded from that. So I think one thing is about uh, celebrating successes. And the other thing is, I would say, is just don't let things fester. If there is a problem, let's face it as soon as possible. You know, you might have to make a division redundant because your business model is changing. Whatever. But, you know, facing get, getting to those difficult things quickly, dealing with them honestly and authentically, you know, showing your vulnerability as a leader, you know, uh, is a good thing. So I think it's really those two things, taking the time to celebrate successes and dealing with frustrations as quickly as you can do. Wow. Brilliant. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been a, a fascinating uh, conversation. I, I'm I'm so glad we connected. I don't remember how we even connected, but whoever whoever connected us, uh, I appreciate it. So, uh, Nick, tell the listeners, uh, your, give them your contact information, how they can reach you, find out more about uh, Friday Pulse and what you're doing. Yeah, I will. So we're, we're Friday Pulse. Uh, FridayPulse.com is our website, so we're quite easy to find. Uh we are uh, free to use uh, for three months. So you can come along and try us and then see if you like the data uh, and then decide uh, whether you want to, want to use it further. Uh, I also have my own website, which is about my, about my sort of um, musings as a statistician, and that's nickmarks.org. So Nick, okay. I'm active on LinkedIn. That's the best place to find me. So you find me quite easily. Nick Marks, LinkedIn, Friday Pulse, you'll get me. Uh, and that's the best place to connect me. So do, do send me an invite and... Um, Probably the only other thing to say is we're just starting a affiliate program so people can uh, point people to us and uh, we'll work with you, uh, with your clients or, or your contacts uh, to introduce them to Friday Pulse uh, and we'll obviously make that uh, reci reci reciprocal relationship. All right. Fantastic. Well, that's really good news. And um, uh, I'll, I'll get that info uh, where to connect on that and put it into the notes. So, again, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us at the cafe today. You can find out more about me, read my blogs, view my videos, or sign up to receive more information at theponzagroup.com or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And if your business is ready for growth and you need a chief marketing officer, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me. I'd love the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to think about others who would enjoy this content like we had today. Fantastic. You can sign up at thebusinessgrowthcafe.com or on any major podcast platform that you like to listen to. Join me next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Nick, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.